from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Tiny House Podcast, I'm Perry. Good morning, this is Michelle. And this is Dumpster Mark. Dumpster Mark. We got your cousin, long lost cousin on, on the interview today. We've got Jeff Wilson, who's a.k.a. Professor Dumpster, who happened to have spent a year literally living in a garbage dumpster. 36 cubic feet or square feet? Square feet. And, you know, if you want to get the puns kicked off right now, what I like to say is literally. So so Jeff, I bet people are wondering how the hell did you end up in a dumpster? Number one, were you homeless? And number two, why? And number three, were you sober? (laughs) Well, it was after a divorce, but I'm not going to say it was the actual cause of the divorce. (laughs) How guys tend to downsize uh, shortly after a divorce. Um, No, but, uh, you know, the idea was to sort of test the ultimate limits of how small someone could live. So, you know, it wasn't just the 33 square feet that I started out with. that We did a major home expansion and expanded 36 square feet at one point. Uh, But it was also a paring down of just everything in my life. You know, I I sold off everything in my big 3,000 square foot home after moving out of that to an apartment. I sold off everything for a dollar an item besides one backpack of really clothes. And uh, some lederhosen that I that I managed to still hang on to, <laughs> and moved into the dumpster. How, how, what were you? Well, how much money did you make on the sale? Um, I don't recall. It was probably five, six hundred bucks. You know, it was packaging deals. I, I essentially put on Facebook uh, at the time I was a professor and assistant dean. Hey, students, uh, here's the address of my home show up at 6 p.m. and you can have anything in it, you know, for a dollar an item. So, you know, I packaged together a few forks and knives for special students. But, uh, yeah, you know, still even at that point in my life, you know, shows kind of how many things we've got around our home that ultimately I really didn't need. Funny. So so whatever you were doing a minute ago that got your sound really clear and loud, do that again because you're fading in and out with the microphone. Okay, how is that? That's way better. Awesome. Okay. Okay, so, so what were you doing before you, well, wait, we didn't really get to the why, really. So you, you were doing something before, maybe being a professor, and then something struck. Was it like, wow, let's see how, how far I can downsize, or was it something more than that? Yeah, I had already started this sort of paring down in my life, and I can't say there was uh, any sort of planned and strategic way that I got at this. I was essentially just sitting at a Starbucks one day, editing another boring, you know, academic paper, the publisher parish kind of thing, and <laughs> looked out the window. I was like, "Hmm, there's a there's a dumpster. I've been wanting to downsize. I, I think I'm just going to move into a dumpster." And that was the sort of eureka moment. Uh, I had a bit <laughs> of a reeking moment. Pause. <laughs> uh, I, I decided to call my most rational, insane friend a vet and tell her this uh, sort of crazy idea and, and she essentially I expected her to say you're crazy you're not going to do that but she said it's on uh, let's find you a dumpster what so you you told your vet friend did you not tell your was she your ex-wife at the time or wife <laughs> no. 
Yeah, this was just a friend of mine that was sort of the most sane person that I, I knew, a woman named Yvette. And uh, she said, yeah, it's on. Let's find you a dumpster. Very interesting. Because exes are never sane. <laughs> of course, yeah. At least sane, maybe. Actually, she may have been the most sane as well. Maybe she sort of prognosticated that uh, this this move was coming and got out. <laughs> Did you have like a sign on it that says, my other house is my ex-wife's house? And <laughs> Don't we all have that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we've seen pictures of of the dumpster you lived in, and we're gonna we're gonna include some in the show notes. When you first got the dumpster, it was a garbage dumpster, right? Or did you get it new? That's right. Uh, we had a local uh, garbage company called Texas Disposal Systems uh, that also had a plethora of extra dumpsters. You know, we actually did a little sniff test, if you will, in a home shopping tour. Uh, they lined <laughs> up 10 of these 33-square-foot, 10-cubic-yard dumpsters uh, out in the line, and then my students and I sort of went through them, kicked the tires a little bit, and, and chose the one that we wanted. And they were all used dumpsters, so next step was going to work with some industrial sort of car wash uh, sprayers, uh, giving giving her a good bath. And then you you did you? It looks like you painted. Yeah. So initially, we just started with uh, an absolutely raw dumpster. I, you know, one of my neighbors was a uh, recycling dumpster, so. First night, went and pulled a few pieces of cardboard out of that, put it on the floor, had a few battery-powered LED lights inside and my sleeping bag and that one backpack of clothes. And we just got started at the absolute uh, baseline of what you might uh, need to make a home. Wow. Well, wait a second. There are a couple of baselines that you may have missed. So every tiny house interview that we've had so far devolves to the poo and the pee. So where did you poo and pee? Yeah, that was one of the biggest questions, and it's actually one of the things that moved me into the current tiny home project that I'm working on now, the casita thing, was, you know, we never were actually able to figure out how to do that inside such a small space. We essentially outsourced it. I would either walk or uh, run uh, to the campus gym because I did happen to live on the university campus. And, uh, yep, that was my community shower slash bathroom. Wow, awesome. Okay. Okay, we're going to get to Casita because that's that's one of the, well, it was because of the dumpster that we wanted to interview, but when we found out about Casita, it was really fascinating. We'll get to that in a little bit. So um, so, so uh, Michelle had asked something that probably got uh, covered by my voice. Did, did you have a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend at the time? Actually, uh, I had a girlfriend sort of going... Going into this whole thing, uh, it's not something you really mention on a first date. <laughs> uh, we actually met online on OkCupid, and actually that one of our dates after that was a minimalist kind of dating trip that's now been turned into a book and uh, soon-to-be Hollywood film. No. What? Uh, yeah, if you just Google the craziest OkCupid date ever, um, had nothing to do with the dumpster. This is a totally other sort of side what? thing. But now there's a book out called No Baggage uh, that came oh. out last week that, that she ended up writing about a, <laughs> a trip we did from Istanbul to London 
uh, in the clothes on our back with, with no bags, no carry-on, no backpacks, anything. Uh, so, uh, anyways, we had met, and I mentioned that I had an alternative uh, sort of housing arrangement I was planning. And she asked, you know, are you going to do some hipster Chinese shipping container on the east side of Austin? I said, that's a pretty close guess, but it's much less glamorous. <laughs> so so yeah. let me go back to the book for a second, because I, I think, have you gotten any media coverage on your guys' relationship? Oh, yeah. This thing went super viral. You know, a few months after we got back, she wrote a piece in Salon that was titled The Craziest OK Cupid Date Ever. And pretty soon she had a book deal and New Line Warner Brothers uh, bought the option on the film. So they're uh, they finished the screenplay. The guy that wrote Bridget Jones. Um, wrote the screenplay and they're trying to wow. cast it now. Fantastic. Wow, but doodle, that's awesome. Know, that's pretty fun. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's pretty fun. Wow, very cool. Okay. And so- she stayed with me through the dumpster. Uh, yeah, I think I think in the Hollywood version, even though when we met, you know, there was no dumpster, I was planning it, I think I tried to uh, take her back to my trashy crib uh, on the first date. <laughs> Uh, you know, Hollywood spins things. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so, th- so this sets up the question that, that Michelle had asked that got covered by my voice. So did you have, do you have, have you had, will you have sex in the dumpster? <laughs> Just right to it. Not Dancing even trying to polish it. it. Not even Yeah, relation. that's the kind of question after, you, did, did you have a girlfriend? Um, I won't confirm or deny <laughs> some of those things happen, but yeah, she did spend a couple of nights in the dumpster, and I guess if you're wanting to check off bucket lists, that might be one. You know, <laughs> I will tell one funny story. So, you know, usually if it's my place or yours, it was pretty much her place uh, <laughs> every time, but I did, uh, during South by Southwest, we actually would move the dumpster around, and we had it down near one of the most popular bars in Austin and about 3 a.m. we're sleeping in there and uh, we hear kind of the unmistakable sound of a couple of zippers coming down and uh, you know gentlemen starting to do their thing on the outside of my home and I was about to yell at him Clara's like wait a minute wait a minute don't say anything so she starts banging from the inside of the dumpster and goes hey guys you're peeing on my girlfriend's my boyfriend's house <laughs> and they stop and you hear one of them go dude i think i heard a girl in that dumpster and the one goes dude i think i heard it too and the other guy goes man we are completely fucked up <laughs> <laughs> so they take off uh yeah that kind of solved that situation that's hilarious oh, that's great wow Okay, it's official. I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you want to. <laughs> okay, so you, you gave us a nice transition from the dumpster to Casita, looking at what do you do with the other needs of living in a small space, poopy and shower. So tell us about Casita. It's really fascinating. Yeah, so, you know, Casita, I'll just talk about its genesis, you know, essentially after living in this really small space, and, you know, there are a lot of things I missed. I didn't really have a full bed, actually. The dumpster was six by six, and I'm six one, so I'd have to sleep diagonally, kind of adjust my bed every night. Not having a bathroom, shower, much less a, you know, washing machine or a dishwasher, 
one night, despite all that stuff, uh, last November, I'm lying there in the dumpster uh, <laughs> and thinking, man, you know, besides all this bad stuff, it's actually pretty cool living in a smaller space. It's a lot of stuff that tiny homes folks, you know, get. You're able to spend more money, disposable disposable income, <laughs> if you will, uh, on other things. You can be in a, you know, really cool location. You don't have to have a lot of roommates. You spend more time out in nature and, you know, it's highly affordable i said you know let's take all of that stuff and then let's flip the script make something a little bit larger that does all that that moves right without getting peed on uh <laughs> let's, let's design something that is really beautiful let's go get an industrial designer right somebody that makes really amazing products and you know say i want you to design me a product essentially an iphone uh, that I could live in, that's smart, that moves, uh, that's small, that has all those best aspects of the uh, dumpster. And so I found a guy, uh, one of the leading industrial designers in the country, and uh, he said, I'm in. And now, uh, you know, a good kind of 13 months after that dumpster epiphany, uh, we've we've got a prototype that's 208 square feet and, you know, feels cavernous. Uh, here in East Austin. Wow. So how, how long, how long, you said 15 months. So 15 months from the time you decided, wow, I need a bathroom to <laughs> meeting the guy or what? No, 15 months from that sort of thing, uh, two Thanksgivings ago, you know, lying there in the dumpster to this past April, I met my co-founder who's a micro unit real estate developer. We got the industrial designer. That was last April. And now, uh, what is it, eight, nine months later, uh, we've got our prototype and are starting up our manufacturing of these. Very cool. I'm a firm believer in the, uh, in the saying that you never know what the answer will be until you ask. So uh, how many industrial designers did you talk to before you got a yes? And, and sort of how did you start out? Did you just set your sights at the most talented guy in the country? Or was he your cousin? Or like, right. you know? Yeah, he wasn't hanging out in the neighboring dumpsters. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my thing was I, I had this idea and had a few little sketches on napkins. And, I, you know, I essentially started asking all of the best you know, designers in Austin, New York that I knew, who is the top industrial designer you know in the country? And this guy, Remy LeBest's name came up a few times. He was lead industrial designer at Frog, which is a, you know, leading, probably the leading industrial design shop in the world. Um, he uh, went out there, pitched them, and he said, man, this this is a game changer. We're, this, is, this is our city's biggest problem is housing stock and more importantly, you know, affordable housing stock. And so he said, I'm in. And funny enough, I mean, this guy really is one of the tops. Uh, he was recruited away by Elon Musk's team to run all of industrial design at Solar City, which is, you know, his current day job and his night job's casita. Wow. How, how what's his name again? Remy Labesque. That's right. R-E-M-Y. What, yeah. what is that? Uh, French. Is is he French? His parents are, so he's first generation. Okay, so he doesn't speak with an accent. S speaks French, yes. He can he can still uh, he can put on an accent, but he doesn't generally. Is he handsome, like you? 
Okay, Cupid. Uh, you know what? He has amazing hair. Amazing. <laughs> he has amazing hair. Just Google the guy. Okay, it's, we're going to get a picture. Of right, he's on our website, too, on the About page. Okay. Casita. All right, cool. Um, so for our listeners, um, they don't have the luxury of sitting in front of their laptop like we are salivating over your designs here. So um, can, you, can you describe sort of uh, for our listeners, how did Casita work, right? You, you said it's a smartphone you can live in. Like talk about, talk about the structure, um, the various cities and municipalities that you're working with, and sort of how you envision this whole plan sort of rolling out to the, for lack of a better term, general public. Yeah, so initially I'll, I'll just talk about sort of the shape and the design of it first. I mean, we we knew from living in the dumpster and folks that live in tiny homes or small spaces that, you know, what makes a space feel large is uh, tall ceilings, yeah. kind of clean zen surfaces, and lots of natural light. Mm-hmm. And those are all challenges when, uh, you know, you're trying to pack a lot of stuff into a small space. So Remy took those design principles and sort of my learnings from the dumpster, and what he ended up designing was something that we weld together from the, the ground up. Um, mm-hmm. It's not on wheels. It's sort of on sleds, and that I'll explain that in a minute why we did that. It has 10-foot interior ceilings and uh, a very clean kind of modular interior with this giant glass cube on the front uh, that just brings in an incredible amount of natural light and really extends the exterior environment that you're living in, brings that into the living area. So, you know, I I think this is similar to the whole jobs or the Apple uh, uh, maxim that people don't know what they need uh, until they have seen it or experienced it. Yeah. That was what they said about them. the iPod, yeah. right? And, you know, folks that have never walked into a tiny home or never walked into this casita, they, they hear something that's a couple hundred square feet and they think about their walk-in closet. Yeah. So, you know, those are the kind of design features we stuck to. And the other things you'll see on the website uh, is we, we want a smart interior that can really improve people's lives rather than screwing in a bulb and having an Alexa, that Amazon Alexa, that can tell you the weather. We want to integrate all that together so that the, you know, Casita's helping you have a richer, uh, you know, fuller kind of life within it uh, rather than just turning on a bulb. And how, how does it do um, that? Well, so, you know, there's all kinds of things we're going to be able to do uh, from, you know, the casita learning kind of when you get out of the bed in the middle of the night, uh, not to flash all the lights on and complete blind you, but you're probably getting up to go into the bathroom, right? So to turn on the lights in the hallway in the bathroom or when you go into the shower, we have a tankless water heater. We want it to learn the exact temperature that you like to shower so you're not fiddling around a lot between hot and cold. Um, adjusting the the blinds or the dynamic windows so that if you like to wake up at noon, well, it can slowly let that sunlight in, you know, rather than blinding you at 6 a.m. So there's all kinds of things that, you know, aren't built in there now, but that down the line, uh, you know, we'd like to change the experience of living in not just a small home, but any home to where the smart technology is actually uh, improving your life. 
Very cool. Now, in the designs that I, the, I, I think they were the designs or maybe the conceptual drawings that I saw, it looked like there were panels on the wall that could be adjusted to suit different needs. What were those? That's right. So, you know, we want people to not only with Casita customize sort of where they live uh, and what they're living in, but the interior, it's very important, especially in a small space, to be able to play with and shift around sort of the different things you use. And so we're designing up, and none of these exist at this point, but there are some renderings of what we're making on the website of this Casita tile system Mm -hmm. that we file patents on. We're, We're working on that essentially allow you uh, in these 15 inch squares along the wall you can remove one square and click in say a clock or remove three squares and click in a bookshelf or six and a tv we probably won't make the fireplace module (laughs) that's shown uh, on the website and possibly not the fishbowl but it you know even a bike holder bike rack holder this would allow you to click those in anywhere in the unit and really give you a lot of flexibility and modularity we think it's the first truly modular uh clean interior very cool and so i i also i saw on the website when mark introduced me that the the one of the really cool features of the casita is that it's movable mobile Yeah, so uh, this was another design idea we took from the dumpster. It it was really cool uh, to be able to pick up the dumpster on a flatbed truck and move it down to South by Southwest or take it to a school. And, you know, I played this professor dumpster kind of Bill Nye character that would talk to kids about living smaller and minimalism. Um, So in that case, we wanted to duplicate that as well uh, to where the casita actually can pull out of this racking structure superstructure go on a 18-wheeler truck uh, without flaggers escorts anything and move uh, anywhere in the country where someone happens to have a piece of land or there happens to be another rack so you know right now we don't have one rack up and running but the assumption is getting our funding and getting up to scale you'll be able to move your unit around the country. And I think this really embraces what we all want to do. Uh, you know, there's a cert, there's a part of our spirit as humans that still wants to be nomadic and roam. And I think the millennial generation has embraced that more uh, than any, which is a major target, uh, one of them, for, for our market. Very awesome. Okay, so... Um... <laughs> We're making really nasty. Never, never mind. It was unit and rack jokes, just, just so you know. Got us oh, all plug in of... your unit. You know, find a rack. Yeah, exactly. there you go. We always that's go our, there. That's our secondary business model. By the way. <laughs> Units and racks. <laughs> you thought about that for a tagline, right? Units and racks. Casita. Units and racks. <laughs> so you've got your unit. Find your rack. Exactly. Yep. So uh, I'm in. So what's your timeline? What's your, you know, what's the budget? Is this, is this um, still uh, somewhat of a pipe dream? Um, is it five years out, 50 years out? Talk about your, uh, your timeline, your investors, um, that kind of how do I, where, how and where do I sign up? Okay, so uh, as far as investment, um, you know, we're actively raising money. Actually, I'm going up to do a sales pitch uh, in Dallas today. I mean, we're in good shape. We have built our prototype. Folks can walk in that. Uh, We will have that uh, near downtown on a piece of property that we have. Um, 
at South by Southwest, which is what five six weeks from now. Um, we started manufacturing uh, our beta unit and uh, have our manufacturing processes up. So what we would expect is that we will have actual units live that people uh, can live in in just a very limited number, you know, probably less than a half dozen by the end of 2016 um, in Austin. And then we plan to build out Austin in the first half of 2016 and then start moving to other cities. Uh, I'm sorry, 17 uh, in, in late 2017. So um, the other question that folks have is sort of how am I going to get one and how much is it going to cost? Yeah. Um, we're not talking publicly uh, yet about what that um, – because we still have a little bit of price narrowing to do. But I can tell you that one of these things will cost uh, – about or less than kind of a mid-range airstream so you will be able to buy a home uh, for about that price it feels a lot higher tech a lot nicer interior um, you know still mobile of what you might pay for an airstream and financing that right you're you're talking about what a little bit maybe more than what a car payment would be um, you know including insurance that's interesting so uh, you know, what we think we have is a, a solution to a really big problem, actually the biggest problem in, in, in our cities. People can't afford to live in a home with dignity in the cities that they love. So I, have, so I understand Michelle is in. I'm not quite in, but I'm intrigued. I have a, several other questions. So first, yeah. <laughs> given what you just said, so if, if I buy a unit for 50 grand and so I, I'm mortgaging that out or maybe I paid it off, is there? Do you are you projecting an additional fee to move it around, or 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 is it some sort of co-op model where if I want to move my unit from my living unit from Austin <laughs> to Portland, I'm going to have to pay more, or am I kind of like grandfathered in anywhere I want to go, like a timeshare? How how will that work? Yeah, if you want to move your just unit to Portland, there's an app called Tender. <laughs> <laughs> We, we're not in that market, but your casita living unit, um, initially, you know, what would happen? Yeah, if you had bought a unit, you would pay those moving charges, right? And we think it'll be a couple, maybe three bucks a mile. And people, you know, from Austin to Portland, what is that, 15, 1700 miles, people initially kind of balk at that cost of moving, right? So you have to consider, you know, not just your plane ticket to move to Portland, but, you know, finding a whole other place, leasing that up, getting in a good location, all of the kind of noise involved with that rather than, okay, I found a rack that's available in Portland. I'm going to click on it. Um, I'm going to have to plug into that rack, and the person that owns it says they're charging $150 a month. Okay, that's tapped on top of what I'm paying for my home, and then I'm going to have to pay to move it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we can't cover all of those costs, especially initially. You know, once we get up to scale, we can probably find some other more socialized kind of ways to do this. Um, but, yeah, initially you would pay uh, for those charges and you'd pay some sort of charge for the racking fee. It's interesting because it seems like with Elon Musk, we've been talking about Elon Musk in this conversation several times. 
you know, he's, he's financing the network of, of fueling stations for his Teslas. Why couldn't you finance the, the network of racks that people would put their homes in? <laughs> he's such so, a there is one minor difference. Professor Dumpster's net worth is about <laughs> net zero. <laughs> is what I mean. Elon Musk, I think it was nine figures that he put into <laughs> SpaceX. Right. So, there's one sort of little difference with that. Now, you know, Google, we've talked to Google Ventures a few times. If they were to come back at us and say, hey, here's $100 million, well, yeah, then we could start to build one of those networks. And right don't get me wrong. I, I want to get to a model like that eventually, you know, almost where you could have kind of timeshare casitas or you could have fueling routes along the way. Hell, you know, if they want to give us $100 billion, <laughs> we'll, build, we'll build one of those hyperloops and just stick you there in. There you go. <laughs> move your whole casita, you know, within 45 minutes to Portland. Yeah, you can well, even ride in the thing. Did, did, did Google ever say these three words together? Self-driving homes. <laughs> Oh, I'm so into it. Holy yeah. shit, and we, that we would work so well. Way, right? I'm moving to Portland today. I'm in the back seat and like whatever. That would be pretty cool. That work. So, okay, a couple more <laughs> questions on the infrastructure. So when you have your casita, um, yep. you mentioned, uh, I can't remember what you said, but okay, so you plug into your casita to this rack. What? Wh where's the HVAC? Where's the plumbing? Where's that kind yep. of thing? So what we do is we hook all those mains into the rack, right? So we just drag a sewer line, electrical, and water like you would to an apartment complex to the edge of the rack. And then all of that is distributed up. We have a sort of, you might call it, hot swap or plug and play system on the side of the casitas where you just plug all of that in and now you're hooked into those city utilities. We're looking at some solar um, and using Tesla batteries, uh, nice. solar up on the top of the rack that we could, you know, essentially power the whole rack. And these racks right now go three stories high. We're working on a 10 floor high mm -hmm. and you can go as wide as you want. Right. Uh, so ooh, most yeah. of them we show on the website are three by three. Yeah, that's this is such a beautiful idea. OK, so let's see. So poopy. So the the are there any other are there any other windows in the unit besides the cube in the front and in, in the front is that the living room I presume not the bedroom or the shower yeah so if you look at our interior shots kind of walking from the back uh, you've got the washer dryer bathroom right on the right you walk through a hallway where the kitchen is and you know we've even got a dishwasher in this thing um, and then you walk into kind of the main living slash sleeping space so we have a trundle bed that pulls out. From from under the couch um, that pushes back in on uh, wheels. Uh, eventually, that'll all be automatic. And then that cube space is about an eight by four uh, glass space that's opaque um, up uh, that you can do what you want. You can put a little table up there uh, if you want to read or write. You could do your yoga up there, put a few succulents, um, kind of whatever you want to do. That's really like the expression space that we leave empty for, uh, you know, it's about the size of a dumpster, actually. It's 32 <laughs> square feet. Um, I had a question. What was it? Um, shoot. It's okay. I'm full of questions. Oh, you're full of it. Right. I'm full of it. Okay, so the, the all right. Oh, I know. Go ahead. No, Sorry. Go, go for Sorry. It. Yeah, yeah. It's silly question time, actually. Why not use recycled 53-foot-long containers, shipping containers? 
Yeah, containers we, we looked at, and there are a lot of issues with containers. Although they're great kind of existing structures, uh, it's hard to get natural light into them. Uh, it's hard to get the high ceilings, and it's hard to get sort of the maximum width, right? I mean, yeah. even a high cube container, you're not going to really have more than an eight-foot ceiling. So rather than cutting and resealing a bunch of those up, we just you know designed from the ground up so we could control sort of every cube. Big uh, inch. Something else funny that we came across as we've been going through the coding and zoning process on this is uh, we've been told several times that people will build container homes and then the state or coding authorities will come out and sample the steel. And actually, a lot of times you'll get your whole container built. And from what I understand, the steel won't be up to codeability or grade. And so you've done all this work and your whole structure actually, you know, isn't at a level where you can code it. Wow, right. interesting. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. So, okay, a couple other questions about, about the units. Um, what kind of heat is in these things? Yeah, so we have a um, HVAC uh, that is a mini split, a ductless mini split that we've actually managed to hook into a Nest thermostat. And uh, so you essentially have central uh, air and heat. Um, and, what, what, and that's how it works. What, what's a mini split? I don't know what that is. Uh, a ductless mini split are those kind of units you'll see hanging outside of a building, kind of with the fan facing uh, out. Yeah. Uh, and then inside, generally, uh, kind of when you travel, especially overseas, you see these kind of long square units yeah. along the ceiling with yeah. this oscillating kind of blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those, but we've kind of. Uh, throughout the house to make it uh, feel like a normal home. And, you know, this is another thing we wanted to get at. I, I wanted to feel, I wanted people to feel like when they walked into a casita, I'm in like a a, a very well-designed small apartment. It's, it's not on wheels and wobbling. Um, it doesn't have a lot of features that don't look modern and feel like a real home. It feels solid. It kind of has appliances and walls and ceilings that and, and, and toilet fixtures and everything that feel real. And so what if someone wanted to, um, can, they, can they get them from, are you planning to provide them from scratch or are they, is it like the Model T of the old days where you, you can get any color just black? Initially, you know, we'll have the Model A, right, that uh, once we get that right. But, yeah, I would imagine uh, in the future, once we get a few thousand of these rolling out, you'll be able to say, I want this kind of skin or this color carpet or interior. And we actually, uh, you know, are planning a system where almost like when you're, you know, Tesla's being built or, you know, when you're having something built on a line, you can actually, you know, get notifications on – um, okay, uh, your skin and frame is being built. Here's a little picture of it along the line. And now we're installing your interior. And now here it is on a truck uh, being shipped to Portland uh, where you are. And, you know, you'll, you'll have your casita in the next day. Cool. Uh, have you talked to any, like, apartment or condo developers to just do one big badass one and they just kind of fund the whole thing? Yeah, we've actually had a number, you know, I, the, I talked about one of our models, right? Like you buy the unit as a home and then make payments and slot it into another rack. Um, there is also on the individual side, right, straight up rentals. 
So where you are renting uh, from a developer that's bought these uh, and a rack uh, just outright and are renting these uh, where they are. And, you know, that case, you're probably not going to be able to pull your whole unit out and move it somewhere else. The developer would probably say something. We've had a, a, a lot of interest, even though we haven't said we're selling these yet publicly or given a price. Uh, we've probably had developers and I'd say about 10 different cities from Chicago to Park City to Charlotte to San Diego, San Francisco, um, contact us. Uh, you know, we've started sort of negotiations and, and, and letters back and forth. Some of them that want as many as 1,200 units. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so is it, is it um, I presume in your, your model you allow – the opportunity for a guy who just wants one built put into a solo rack somewhere on his property somewhere do you accommodate that kind of request yeah that's something that uh we are still trying to figure out um we could we're, we're designing up something that we're calling a cradle rather than a rack uh, you know, we want to make sure that these things are set down appropriately on land and not just on a couple of four by fours. And then there's also all kinds of sort of, you know, coding and zoning type stuff that, especially at the beginning, we want to make sure we're fairly careful, uh, you know, with the brand. What we do anticipate is fairly early. Yeah. If you, you know, got a piece of land out in West Texas and want to use this as like your hunting blind backup or, or something like that, or put it out near your hot spring, um, that we will, yeah, be able to deliver a unit uh, to you. Cool. So uh, two questions. First question was, uh, what's Katie Kirk like? Uh, and the second question is, are you at all surprised by your fame? I mean, are you surprised this idea really took off and it's, it's really kind of carrying itself and everybody's enthusiastic. Yeah, so I think Katie was probably still a little bit wary that I had just gotten out of a dumpster. And so, you know, she sent actually a team down to Texas to film and look at the units. So I didn't actually meet Katie in person. Uh, that may have been by design. Um, and then, like, the whole fame thing, um, yeah, it is shocking and we're just kind of rolling with it. Like, you know, we don't take advantage of it or shy away. I mean, we haven't sought any kind of interviews or attention from the press, but, you know, I think the public is just really excited and ready for an idea like this. Yeah. And, you know, even though we didn't reach out to any sort of press or, or, do a press release or push anything. Um, you know, we have a video on Tech Insider now that has almost 10 million views. And we didn't even make that video. We didn't even ask Tech Insider to make it. Um, I think people are just ready for a change in, uh, you know, a, a market that hasn't had what they call disruption. You know, what, you know, one of the things that's a little bit frustrating and that folks have written about is that, you know, out in Silicon Valley, where all of our most innovative, best minds are, you know, you graduate from Stanford with a computer science degree, you know, you're going to go work likely at a company 
um, like Google that is essentially focused on selling ads or, you know, a startup that somebody wrote the other day that most of the startups are trying to solve problems of stuff that your mom used to do for you. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, do your laundry, bring you food, pick you up and drive you somewhere, etc. We're not working on water, you know, housing homelessness our, our best minds aren't really going there and we're hoping you know to attract some of those best minds to to work on this you know very big problem in a small way very cool do you, do you consider it a social enterprise in that regards then yeah i i do um you know i we are trying to leverage sort of the best parts of capitalism uh, without letting sort of the ego and just the drive towards money uh, get out of hand. Um, you know, people obviously see the um, financial attractiveness mm -hmm. of this. Um, but I, you know, I'm trying to keep our mission on point that what we're really trying to do is solve for some major societal problems. We're you know, we're not ultimately trying to make Tesla homes that are three or four hundred thousand dollars that no one can afford. Yeah. You know, we're trying to make something that uh, the general, you know, let's take a student that's five years out of school, still buried in debt and can't afford to live anywhere in Austin or Portland or San Francisco, you know, much less a, a much broader section of the population. Have you talked to FEMA? Actually, we were talking about that this morning uh, <laughs> you know, with one of our investors. You know, it's it's not our initial approach, and uh, there's actually some other great people working on that. Um, even in Austin, there's a company called Reaction Housing that's run by a friend of mine that makes these little pod-type shelters um, that can be deployed rapidly for disaster relief. But, yeah, I mean uh, – a FEMA shelter, right? One of those trailers, you know, you basically paid 75 grand to get sick um, yeah. and, and not too sexy of a, a living environment. Well, that's what I was going with is just, again, the price point, um, the price point and the, the, the mobility, um, the sort of simplicity of the design. Um, so that's what I was kind of thinking. That's the direction my mind was going. Yeah, there are all kinds of social ways to go with this disaster relief, you know, even to the homelessness issue, right? If we could design a version, a kind of IKEA version of the casita that would be affordable, uh, you know, to municipalities and folks working on issues like that, you know, that's one of our biggest problems in our cities uh, is figuring out how to take care of folks and give them a home with dignity. Yeah. What I love about what you've done is it's just such beautiful design yeah. that should it even go in that direction, it works. And it's not just designing something shoddy like a shotgun shack for homelessness. It's a, it's a real issue that anybody could uh, could could live in, basically. Yeah. All right. The, the yeah, and what, you know, one of our values really is that you know design uh, should be accessible to all. Like just because. Uh, something's well designed doesn't need to, you know, mean it needs to be exclusively for the folks with, uh, you know, Dwell magazine being delivered to their doorstep every day. I mean, there are ways. IKEA has actually shown that and been very successful that things can be well designed and at scale uh, be affordable to the masses. Yeah. 
the only thing I see with homeless, the homeless issue is, is the potential of building these beautiful structures and having them totally filled with homeless people as opposed to like building these beautiful structures and having them with mixed, mixed populations mm -hmm. so that you don't create like sl casita slums. Casita slums. Yeah. Right, right. And I mean, I, I want to be clear, you know, our initial sort of target with this is, you know, to build these uh, that feel, uh, you know, super high end and are, you know, targeted at a pretty standard you know, millennial or even empty nester kind of population. And yeah. then, you know, there, there are potential for all these other uses. Right. We just don't win or when or where or how we'll go that sure. way. Right. Are you, are you going to, are you going to be open to, what if some millennial comes up to you, a dot com successful dude comes up and says, I want a double wide casita. Yeah, we've actually got some initial, you know, drawings on this, how we might uh, fit them together. You know, it would probably be, especially in the rack, more vertically with some sort of, you know, it would probably be closer to a ladder or spiral staircase in that tight of a space. Um, but that that's possible, but not, it's on our radar, but, you know, out on the further reaches of it. Yeah. So is this your future? What do you what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, you know, I really liked what you said earlier uh, about you know you don't know where things are going to end up. Uh, I I really moved in the dumpster really just because I wanted to live in a dumpster. I wanted to try living in a small space. There weren't any you know huge capitalistic ideas. In fact, people would ask me all the time if I was going to make dumpster gated communities or monetize, and I said no. I just want to live in a dumpster and you know this casita thing came out of that uh i i think that i'm taking the same attitude here and that i just really want to do this and uh we've got a team that really just wants to do it and you know for no specific motive and we're going to see what comes next you know we may end up cruising along in hyperloops uh 400 miles an hour in, in tiny homes uh or you know i i've always got the plan b to move back into the dumpster if, if it doesn't work out <laughs> nice man well jeff thank you so much yeah. for being with us this was a fantastic conversation i'm sure our listeners have thoroughly enjoyed it i did yeah well thank you guys so much and yeah you can get to us at casita.com i'm at Prof Dumpster, both on Twitter and Instagram, and our uh, Twitter and Instagram is Casita underscore Casita. So you can also sign up on our website for updates when we come out with the prototype, when we start leasing units, etc. Nice. Um, can you send? Uh, is it possible for me to lift pictures from your website, or do I need to ask you to send them to me? Uh, no, you can lift them, and I think actually down at the bottom there's a thing that says press. Okay. that you can download videos and high-res uh, images for the website. So you can just credit Casita. Okay. And that's Casita with a K, K-A-S-I-T-A dot com. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one, Jeff. And All listeners, right. come back next week for another fascinating episode of Tiny House Podcast. Yay. See ya, be See ya. Be ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. 
you tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 